Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast, our last episode of 2019. I'm your host, Simon Berman, General President of the Brush Wielders Union, and I am here with professional miniatures painter Chris Sir. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. How are you, Simon? Good. Uh, surviving the holidays. Spent the day ordering the new uh, Brush Wielders Union membership booklets, uh, which is going to be stressful just until I get them in my hand, but uh, very ready for the holidays, I guess, and also for the holidays to be over. I, I hear you. I mean, this has been a... It's been a good like Christmas holiday so far. I've gotten to do a lot of fun things, but yeah, it's kind of getting to the point you're like, I'm I'm okay if it starts winding down. Yeah, it's uh, it's been hectic and crazy, but it's been good. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming and uh, joining and talking to me and uh, everyone. Brushwater is going to listen to this. Uh, no, thank you for having me. It's a it's a huge honor. I mean, it's great whenever you get to talk about painting. So. Um, I'm right excited. On. Yeah, so you know, just for a little bit of background, I guess you know you, you've been doing some competitive painting, you've been doing some display painting, uh, some teaching. You're you're kind of doing everything these days, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, trying to. Um, I mean, I used to, I used to paint just because I wanted to have a, a you know like a war machine or hordes army on the table that was sure. fully painted. Um, but uh, you know, as a uh, as my uh, uh, medical practice, my uh, my medical career started taking off. I had less and less time to spend competitively playing and had to start refocusing energies on other things. And I wanted to still stay involved in War Machine of Hordes. And that's about the time when uh, Privateer Press started doing like the uh, the P3 coins. Like, you know, they're doing mm-hmm. like, the bronze and the silver and the golds and stuff like that. So I decided to kind of start devoting my time to trying to improve my painting and stuff like that. And then that kind of ended up blossoming into you know, wanting to do better, become more competitive at it, then started doing things that weren't just armies and miniatures. And then I think the natural thing from that is after a while, you, uh, you know, you have enough people ask, you know, how do you do this? How do you that? How do you do that? And you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll try teaching a class or two. Yeah, sure. You're doing some classes at Adepticon, I think, coming up too, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, 2020, uh, in March at Adepticon, I'm going to be teaching a class on Saturday and a class on Sunday about uh, how to try to tell a story with like a diorama. It'll be a class that kind of focuses on uh, how first to just be inspired by a piece, like how to look at things and then maybe uh, see it a little bit differently than than just uh, uh, like how someone else would. Like, for instance, you know, um, one of my favorite ones uh, or favorite ideas I've still never done, but I still think it's a good idea is uh, take like say like a, an ATST, but instead of just painting up an ATST, paint up like this old ATST that maybe was on Tatooine or something like that, and the Empire abandoned it, and then it was like taken over by Jawa. So maybe now it's got like you know cloth hanging off of it, and like robot or uh, droid parts all over the place, uh-huh. you know, and stuff like that. So the class will kind of talk about how to you know, uh, you know, take like a bit of inspiration like that maybe kind of manipulated into a different idea and then how we would actually use uh, what we call composition, which is how you like position things within a diorama to help make people focus on what you want to. And then we'd also talk about like how we actually like put it all together. Like how do we, you know, how do we make like desert terrain or how do we make like uh, certain types of trees and stuff like that? Oh, that's super cool. I, I want to talk to you more about that later. Cause I've, I've been kicking around a couple of, uh, small diorama ideas myself so I've, I've got lots of questions but uh oh that'd be great dig into, dig into that a little deeper um but yeah so you know so you started out just painting armies for yourself for to, to play games with right and i think it, we, we probably met at some point back then right we did yeah yeah i mean you were working for privateer press and uh i mean uh 
what back in the day I was all about like competitive play. Like I used to love playing um uh what what's her name? Uh Denegra too. Like oh in sure. The, in the very first iteration of like War Machine, so like when she was kind of even considered like crap, you know, I I enjoyed playing her, <clears throat> and would go to the tournaments and stuff like that, and I became a press ganger, and um, but I would always see like you there and stuff like that, and you were always like you know in control of so many things for P three and like the lore and some things like that, and uh, um, I'm gonna say in control of, but I I had a hand in some you stuff. Had, yeah, fair, yeah. fair point. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I, I guess Matt and Jason kind of had control, but yeah. Yeah, I, I got to play in the sandbox a bit, which was always a good time. But Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so like, you know, you would, you'd put an army on the table and I mean, even though Privateer Press doesn't require you to have like painted models, which I, you know, I actually think is probably kind of a good idea. Um, but I was, was, you know, I was like, well, I want my army to be painted. It makes it a little bit more fun. And so I would, uh, yeah. You know, I was you know first started off just by painting you know the models from my uh, from my army. In fact, a buddy of mine still has some of my original models I painted for like uh, privateer press events. And I swear, some of them are basically little flesh on the flesh areas, like some red on like the scorn robes, and then a wash, and that was done. I, I was like, I'm done. It <laughs> looks great. You, you know, to, to be honest, like armies like that don't actually bother me that much. Like even just a little oh. bit of effort just like elevates it immediately from you know unpainted undifferentiable metal and plastic right like you know when i see i'm like hey you tried that's cool oh absolutely i think those are totally fine i mean especially because like when you're playing a game i mean nothing's like what three four feet away from you and stuff like that you don't yeah, need exactly. to have like little pupils on every eyeball for it to make a statement i mean no one you know you know very few people are going to get down and inspect it that closely so for sure putting a little effort in goes a long way yeah, I mean, one of the things I've started doing is, you know, when I when I start a new army or project or whatever, I kind of decide to what degree of detail I want to paint it. Like, you know, it used to be I would, you know, paint like a whole chaos army a couple of years ago, and I really went crazy on everything. And I realized, you know, I don't need to paint all twelve of these chaos warriors with, you know, the, the pupils in their eyes, right? Nobody nobody's ever going to see it in their helmets. No, and I've, no. I've learned it's been it's been really good for my mental health and, and my <laughs> my. Um, my ability to get things done to, you know, decide like I'm going to paint this, this project doesn't require me to paint to this level or, you know, if it's a skirmish project, like, okay, yeah, I am going to, I am going to knock these guys out to a really high degree. Or, you know, I, I did a, I picked up a battle tech set uh, on a whim at Gen Con this year. And, you know, I know, I know I'm not going to play a whole lot of battle tech, but I was like, I got some contrast and I, you know, I painted the whole setup in five, six hours and they're fine for what they are. So yeah. being able to like make, determine like to what level of quality I want to put into it and not have to beat myself up every time has been really good for me i think that's a little bit what you're talking about right oh yeah i mean i mean and like let's you know let's take like a <clears throat> like a warhammer army or like a you know privateer press army or something like that i mean too if you really want to have it kind of like sparkler or something like that or be really kind of noticeable i mean you don't need to paint all the troops to a high high level i mean they're just troops they're gonna get kind of lost in the background so maybe just pick like you know three or four of your key pieces that you really like the most and paint those to a real high standard and then like leave the other ones kind of you know a couple of colors do a contrast wash or something like that and be done with it yeah absolutely i i think that's that's really just good advice in general um so, so when you're do you do you still paint to play it all these days or are you purely <clears throat> painting display pieces and such and it's... dioramas it's really mainly for display anymore and dioramas and stuff like that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I do like, um, I, like, uh, recently, uh, I got to try out Marvel crisis, uh, protocol. And, uh -huh. um, uh, I thought that game was fantastic. Like it's so much fun. And like the, uh, 
the like the visual images you create in your head when you're like playing your favorite superheroes and stuff like that. Sure. A lot of fun. And so I'm hoping to, to have my core set of that soon. And when I paint that up, that's just going to be a quick a quick paint job because i mean those are the you know they're gonna be touched pushed across the board and stuff like that yeah. they're, gonna, they're gonna end up getting nicked at some point but uh i'll probably pick a couple of characters out of that set and try to paint them up to a higher standard and and actually put them into a case at some point then that's cool i gotta i haven't tried that game myself but i've heard nothing but good things about it, it it's got a lot of great dynamics <clears throat> i mean like the uh it, it is it's this fun interactive play i mean it's not like uh you know I sit here, I do all my things, then you go, you do all your things. It's very back and forth. And not only is there like alternating activations of the characters themselves, but even when a character actually activates, sometimes there's things you can do to like, uh, you know, counterattack or, or mitigate mm-hmm. their effects. And uh, I mean, like, uh, I've, like I said, I've only done a couple of games, but both games well, we did where... I mean, they were a ton of fun, and it wasn't like a blowout victory one way or the other. I mean, we sure. you know, whoever won won by two, three points in the very end. It it was close. So that's cool. It seems like really dynamic gameplay. Like, I'm 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 waiting for none of, none of the characters I've released now are, are like my favorite superheroes, but I'm sure they're they're going to get me one of these days. They're going to release Moon Knight or something, and I'm going to be be all in at that point. Is that, is that who you want, Moon Knight? I, yeah, Moon Knight's probably my favorite of like the normal like Marvel superheroes. I don't know, maybe some of like the old like was it was. It, Midnight Suns from uh-huh. the '90s, uh, with like Morbius and Ghost Rider, that like like sort of little minor super group they had. Uh huh. But I don't know. We'll see. No, it's, it's just ironic because my uh, my oldest son is really really into comics anymore, and he was literally talking about Moon Knight tonight and like how like tell me all the lore <laughs> on him. So I'm kind of out of the loop. Warren Ellis wrote a six issue like reboot of Moon Knight, maybe four or five years ago that I, re- I really got into and i didn't actually keep up on it but it, like it made me like oh, i like moon knight a lot yeah i'm kind of uh i mean they've already shown the miniatures for it for the uh the spider verse like gwen and miles and everything oh yeah those but, are cool yeah but they haven't put out the release date i don't think at least yet but i'm real i'm excited to get like guardians um and then get like the spider verse characters i think those would be a lot of fun um and then I'm guessing at some point they're going to do like an uh, an X Men release, and uh, that would definitely be something that would pique my interest. Yeah, I was a big X Men fan in the when I was a twelve, thirteen. Yeah, they actually but, did uh, a they just did a reboot on uh, kind of like on the X Men or whatever. They did like a new storyline. It's a little dark and it's kind of interesting. Well, that's so, cool. Yeah. Also, you know, welcome. Thanks for helping me found my new comic book uh, web uh, podcast here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll be happy to help you with that one too. I mean, yeah. I used to love comics. I mean, I yeah, me I haven't too. so much any. I haven't kept up on them in years anymore. But my oldest, he got all my uh, all my old comic books, and then he started building collections off of them. So sure, I mean, we'll just have him on, and he'll he'll tell us everything. No doubt. Right on um but yes that, that's kind of your gaming your, your focus these days is less gaming and more on a diorama display than that yeah sense. so yeah. What, what gets you excited about a figure i mean do you do you like i want to go find an orc bust or you know a large-scale orc figure i'm gonna like what, what what's what gets you inspired to start painting a project like that oh my god like almost honestly almost anything can get me inspired like i mean there's times where you're just like flipping through facebook or like pinterest or something like that and you see uh, see an image that's uh, really really cool like um, uh, I did a bust a couple of years ago called the autumn priestess um, and uh, the original piece 
the original like resin model for that is actually uh Boudica from I think FER miniatures. And so it's just it's it's this like Celtic warrior woman. Yeah, but sure. I, um, but like I had seen um some artwork done by a uh an artist named Danny Diaz and he had done this whole entire uh series of shamans um yeah and they were really unique i mean they're like you know like I mean, there was a shaman like there were you know there was like this forest shaman there was a shaman of the sea but like for instance the shaman of the sea like his his hat instead of being a hat was like a giant conch shell and like his familiar was like an octopus on his arm uh there was another one called like the um <clears throat> like the tech shaman and it's like this kid wearing like a welder's mask and his staff is literally like an old bulb tv that he's got hooked up to a car battery and stuff like that and so awesome. yeah and so anyway I'd, I'd seen like the um his version of like this this uh female like a uh, forest shaman and so i was inspired by that and started converting the bus to become that and uh you know that's how she kind of came about but i mean yeah like inspiration it can come from anywhere it can come from uh art books um and we're not just talking like uh you know you can go to amazon you can buy like uh D D art books magic the uh, gathering art books and stuff like that but i'm also talking like even classic artists you know sure um like just going to the art museum <clears throat> but then you can find it in things like movies and that too i mean like uh um like uh right now i would really really like to do some type of like star wars bounty hunter piece after looking at watching all the episodes of mandalorian and stuff like oh that. yeah bet. So, so so you know so let, let's just kind of walk through the, the process like so once you've been inspired by something you know what how do you start turning that into the physical piece and the if we're talking about dioramas in particular like what, what what's your what's your process from i've had this idea now i've got to make it happen what do you do next okay um well uh, so let's see um <clears throat> let's say what i'm going to talk about um how i did like my, my fate diorama for sure. for this uh crystal brush here in 2019 because that's probably kind of a good example um, so the inspiration from that literally came from my wife, uh, for Christmas the year before, like in 2017 or something like that, had bought me a, uh, an art book about Norse mythology. And, and so there was all these like drawings in there and stuff like that. And then there'd be like little excerpts about, you know, about what this is. And, you know, so going through it, I came across these things called the Norns, which are basically the three, you know, they're, they're kind of like the three fates, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was like in love with the idea. I was like, I like this idea that there's these, you know, three ladies, they control like, you know, future, you know, or past, present, future. Um, they live, you know, in the, um, in Yagdrasil, the tree. Um, they, you know, there's this well nearby. Then you got Nidhogg, which is this like dragon that goes through the roots and gnaws at the tree and, and all this kind of lore. Um, so the first part was, I guess, uh, you know, was just being inspired by that story. Then the second part became, okay, well, how can I take that story and try to actually create it into a diorama? Um, <clears throat> so the first part was like, well, what, what's really the thing you need to focus on? Well, it's on the three ladies, right? I mean, they're the main, the main part of the story. So, <clears throat> so I need to make sure I make a piece that includes the three of them, but it doesn't necessarily have to have everything else. Um, so like, for instance, the tree Yagdrasil, when you look at the piece, there's only a little bit of it represented, right? Cause I mean, if I tried to represent the entire tree, I mean, that piece would either have to be giant or, or the ladies would have to be incredibly little, uh, and small. 
Right. I'm, I'm looking at pictures of it right now, and it, it, it's a really stunning diorama. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I love that piece. It was so much fun to do. It was so unique and different. <clears throat> and so, like, uh, I guess part of that, too, is that uh, because it was going to be kind of like mythology, a little older and everything, I decided at that point, too, I wanted to like kind of create a frame around it. So it kind of give you this like feeling of like, you know, coming out of a page of an old book or like an old manuscript or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once you kind of start getting the idea of what you want to do, it's time to start looking for your miniatures. And <clears throat> I mean, there's a there is definitely a <clears throat> ton of painters out there that can easily outpaint me that can like when it comes to technical skill and stuff like that, they're, you know, they've got much more experience and, and they're much more technical. Um, but I see a lot of times what ends up happening there is he, you know, someone will be like, okay, I painted this bus and I just painted, you know, with these, you know, bright, beautiful colors and stuff like that. And they move on to the next thing. And I'm like, sometimes you can alter the way it looks and get something new out of it. Sure. So for instance, those, those three ladies that are on, on Yagdrazil on the tree there, it's all the same model. It's, it's the exact same. Interesting. Yeah. It's all exactly the same model, just butchered in different ways. <laughs> like, sure. Like, you know, you, you cut off a part, you cut off a different part, move it, right. reposition it. And then you can sculpt in, you know, the hide the holes or uh, sculpt mm-hmm. the parts that you need. I mean, you know, certain parts. Yeah, I'm not- <laughs> I've been staring at it for you know five minutes since we've been talking about it, and I, I never would have actually guessed they're the same model. I mean, now, now that you pointed out, I can like, oh yeah, I can see your, you know that that part of her skirt's the same on these two and all that. But like, I, I never would have noticed on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and you know, I mean, certain parts are really, really hard to sculpt, so you try not to, you know, maybe change them. Like for instance, you know, if I altered their faces, that's kind of hard to re-sculpt um hands are hard to re-sculpt but when it comes to like things that are hidden by cloth and stuff like that that's so easy i mean you can easily change a position and make it look like something totally different and so you know that was the next part was kind of figure out you know get the ladies once i got them and i started kind of manipulating them then it became time to start building like the background um the tree itself is actually built out of Oh, I don't know, <clears throat> six, seven pieces of driftwood. Um, these oh, are wild. yeah, they're pieces of driftwood that um, I found on a trip that my wife took me on for Father's Day out to a lake, and this lake had all this driftwood there. So the kids and I collected it and I let it dry out, and then basically I just took a hammer and chisel and smacked it, breaking in the various segments, put them all together to get the rough shape of the tree. And then after that, any gaps or pieces that didn't look right, I'd fill in with like milliput and green stuff and then sculpt it so it all kind of looked like it was conjoined and, and actually flowed that way. Oh, um, it looks very natural. Great. I'm glad it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like the, the leaves, you know, they were made with um, with actually just like a hobby uh, hole punch. Um, and, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in uh, I got like the idea from uh, Matt Sexwish, who's this um, – uh, fantastic German painter and he, uh, uh, he's really great at dioramas and basing and that and like he, he had had on his Patreon one time how to actually take real leaves and preserve them and so huh. I did that and preserved real leaves and then used the hole punch to punch the leaves out of that so that they had a little bit more natural look and stuff like that and then just ended up you know using mm-hmm. paint to kind of kind of highlight and stuff like that so um, 
No, they look great. They really, really look. They look. They're quite realistic. I, I, the closest I know is a, a friend of mine, Charles Eagle, had shown me a sort of quick and dirty way to make leaf scatter out of um, cooking herbs, uh-huh. like uh, you know basil and oregano. Like, and um, I can't remember which ones were particularly good for, but some of them have like little you know tiny leaf forms. And I uh, had, he showed me how to like you, you bake them up and uh, just color them. You, you shake them up in a bag with um, you know cheap acrylic paint, and then you uh-huh. bake them. And uh, it comes out some some decent like you know autumnal leaf scatter, but it's it's nowhere near as good as that stuff. No, but that, I mean that totally works. I do that all the time. I actually still do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for like leaf scatter. There. Besides, it makes the base smell kind of good too. Like I was, get to that makes your whole house yeah. smell good while you're doing it. Yeah, I've actually like um, you can actually go to like uh, those uh, cigar shops too, and sometimes you get like tobacco and everything, like the crushed tobacco leaves. I'm oh, sure too, but then your base really smells good. So yeah, awesome. But um, um, yeah, and then go on. You were, oh, you were saying about the tree say, and the leaves. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, actually, one of the other points I was I was gonna make there real quick though, um, is I think whenever you're working on a diorama like that, especially one that's like really really big, the more intricate it becomes, and the more pieces you have in it, the more you have to realize you gotta kind of just go with the flow sometimes too. Like you've got a, <clears throat> like you know, you're positioning a you know a model, and they're like, well, my initial sketch didn't really look like this. But that doesn't quite work now. Now I got to move her a little bit. I got to change this a little bit. And um, I mean, like, yeah, I, I think it's great to always sketch something when you first start because um, that's kind of got like the soul of your piece in it. Like it, it, it has the main idea. But, yeah. But as you're doing it, you got to be a little bit flexible. Um, you know, right. I mean, that's just a guide, right? It's not. It's not your blueprint. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like. Um, I'm pretty sure in the original sketch for that piece, I also had an eagle up in the top. I had numerous other things, and I think the figures were actually quite a bit larger in the scene. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it just didn't work that way, so I had to make changes. Oh, it's really stunning. Actually, what did you do to make the um, the uh, threads they're weaving? That's actually just string. It's really? Just, yeah, it's just good old fat. It's really, really thin um, uh, uh, rope. Um, that I picked up from like Michael's, you know, like the, you know, those like art stores or whatever. Sure. And then, uh, and then basically after I got it attached in its positions, I'd go in with like a, a really thin, uh, like Newland oil or like some type of wash like that and just use mm-hmm. that and gently rub it over there to kind of tint certain areas to make them, you know, to give highlights to certain areas and shadows to other ones. But it's, it's really just, you know, rope, um, I saw a thing where uh, where Roman from Massive Voodoo had done that one time, so I was like, "Hey, I'll give it a shot too. Why not?" Yeah, I mean, it looks fantastic. Do you, so, do you do you treat it with anything, or is it is just hanging loose there? Or? Uh, it's it's just hanging loose. Well, I, I mean, it's kind of hanging loose. There's there's a fair amount of it that got, that got treated with like super glue. So there's there's sure. a decent part of it that's that's like solid, but I mean, there's parts of it that are that are still a little loose yet too. No, it, it's it's a really stunning effect. Thanks. Um, and I, I particularly like the um, the frame you have with that Norse scroll work. I forget what the word for that is. I don't know. I always called it filigree, but <laughs> yeah, no. There's I I, I know I know this for a fact because there's um in uh, Seattle there's a, uh, a Nordic Heritage Museum or something. I remember seeing ads for a class in like how to do that specific kind of scroll work because like there's a, there's a word for it and it's a, it's a whole tradition of its own. But uh, you really did a great job like making it look like the real thing. Thanks. Yeah, um, I actually originally tried to do like the Celtic knot type thing on it, but it became very obvious very quickly that that was going to be a massive pain in the uh, pain in the butt. And so I, started, sure. I was like, I started doing a little bit more freeform, but um, 
like uh yeah i mean uh people have asked before like you know how do you do that and it's really not terribly difficult um the the piece has this frame um and in that case that frame was actually just a shadow box from like uh, michael's anymore i tried to i actually have a friend that is building me wood frames because they look they look nicer from the side and they uh have mm -hmm. you know, have that that nice wood grain in them and everything but um but the actual like part that's on the front like the where like there's the filigree and all that type of stuff that's just plastic card that was cut the, to overlay it and then using like you know just time and a ruler drawing the shapes and then going in and painting the shapes and creating the shadows and stuff like that which you know as, as people get experience you just kind of learn you know how to do that like you know things that are highlighted pop towards you things that are darker or colder tend to fade away and so you can use that to start creating like the 3d effect then sure yeah i mean i, I just think it's, it's it's so striking because it really gives us this feeling of you know looking into a you know almost like a 2d picture book yeah um and then that, that's almost feeling of surprise when you realize it's three-dimensional right right yeah that's kind of was that's kind of what i was going for with us so i actually did um for crystal brush that year it didn't originally originally start this way but um the three pieces i did for crystal brush that year that year all ended up tying into one another like oh yeah yeah like the, so that one's like the fates and the fates are you know they got those strings out and everything like that and you can see down in kind of like the the left hand corner there's a skeleton uh with a sword in it and like a shield with a symbol on it and stuff like that and so that one was supposed to kind of show was the first piece and it shows like you know this guy that you know must have died some type of dishonorable death because he's laying at the bottom of yagdrasil instead of being at valhalla um, and he's got the sword through him. And he's got the, sh you know, this particular symbol on the shield. And then the next one was my single model entry, which was this, uh, 75 millimeter angel called Adria, uh, Adriel from beyond miniatures. And I took her and I converted her after reading that same Norse book to make her a Valkyrie, you know, um, and it, yeah, she's very obviously that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and actually, uh, kind of going back to what we, you know, talked about earlier with inspiration. This is how just adding a few small things can change how something feels. Um, so, if anyone happens to look up what Adriel looks like, she's she's this very stereotypical angel, nice flowing hair, little bit of armor, big wings, and in the original model, she's holding a shield in the left hand, and her in her right hand is a sword. Well, all I had to do to kind of change the feel of that was I got rid of the sword and gave her a spear. Um, and for those who play like uh, Privateer Press uh, games out there, and that you might notice the end of the spear is actually the uh, spearhead from, uh, what's his name, uh, Madrick 3. Um, oh, yeah. And then she's got like the little angel wings coming out of her hair and everything, which we can't, you know, a lot of people kind of symbolize that with like the Valkyrie helmets and everything mm -hmm. like that. Um those are actually the wings off of the owl from Cole Grimma. So I cut those, put them on her head, and then just with a little bit of green stuff, you can create hair. It's not that not too terribly hard to kind of hide that that join. Yeah. Um, and I gave her the spear because a spear is more of a considered like a Norse weapon. I mean, it's very much symbolized sure. with like Odin and stuff like that. And then um, outside of that, um, the Norse book I read kind of talked about valkyries and like both in a like comforting and a dark way like i mean mm -hmm. on one hand they take like warriors of valhalla and they you know um and stuff like that but it also talks about them as being very 
cruel um, mistresses and stuff like that, you know, almost like birds of prey over the battlefield. So that's why she's got like the skulls on her and stuff like that to kind of really sell this kind of death, you know, idea. Yeah, she's quite ominous. Like you're not, you're not really gonna have a good time if she shows up. No, no, no. Yeah, she. Yeah, no, no. She's there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to take someone to Valhalla and leave the rest of you poor bastards to your fate. You know. Yeah. So, uh, and so yeah. in this one, the 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 shield. So if you can't look over that piece, she's um, she's in what we call like a cross composition, which means like if you can't look at her and then you can't look at the frame, you can draw a line straight from like the top of the piece down through the middle, which goes right through yeah. her body, and then from the wings straight across and puts it like right on her. Um, but then down in like kind of the left hand corner area, you you might notice like there's some spears and stuff like that, and then there's that shield again, the same shield, mm-hmm. you know, the same design and everything. Oh yeah. And so my idea with this was, well, she's now shown up at this battlefield where, uh, as we're gonna find out, whereas you know this guy's daughter has you know his shield maiden you know his daughter became a shield maiden and she passed away like in battle like gloriously unlike her father who apparently died a coward you know so she's kind of reclaimed the family honor here and then that leads to the to the last piece which is was my bust entry um and this is uh called uh valhalla and um and so in valhalla we see this bus which has been converted to mo- to look like that she's actually in a funeral pyre and she's mm-hmm. on her way you know out in the lake about ready to uh you know make her trip to valhalla and stuff like that um and in that piece you know once again there's a shield in the one corner and it's got the same design um and stuff like that and this is another example about how like you can take a piece and you can make it something totally different like the original bust here is um I forgot what the, it's the lady in the lake, but they have a different name for it. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, the bus is actually the lady in the lake and her arms are actually outstretched and she's like holding the sword across them. So I had to cut mm-hmm. the arms and reposition them to kind of go over her chest and everything. And then um, one thing I did not anticipate with, you know, talk about how you have to go with the flow and that uh, one thing I did not anticipate with that piece was her eyes. I had never really thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, you just you won't even have to worry about painting her eyes because her eyes will be closed. The problem uh-huh. is, is they're all sculpted with eyelids. So of I had course. to go in there and cut out the oh, eyelids man. and then kind of sculpt <laughs> an eyelid at the bottom so it looked right. You know, so it yeah. looked like she actually had her eyes shut and everything. Um, and then that uh, sounds like some work. It, 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 it was a it was a fair amount of work. It was more nerve wracking than anything because you're like. God, if oh, I yeah. if I screw this up, I will not be able to sell this idea because like everyone's sure. gonna look at that face, and if you if you don't do it right, everyone's gonna know. Um, but uh, and then it was a lot of fun to do that one because um, like uh, I got to put all these things in the boat with her to kind of like show like you know who she is like you know there's I, some... I was going to comment on how much i like that yeah i mean it was such a fun thing to do like i mean i put apples in there because i was like okay maybe she likes apples maybe that's her favorite uh fruit and then it added like this little burst of color to the piece yeah um the doll the doll yeah the doll yeah. is just a, a little simple sculpted you know little green stuff doll not much to it really um, and then I was like, well, you know, the doll, maybe that was her doll when she was a, a, a girl or something like that. Or maybe, yeah, it's, a, or maybe it's from her, it's daughter. her daughters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the idea too. Maybe, it, you know, that's, her, you know, her daughter put that in for, in there for her to go with. Um, it's, it's, it's so evocative. Like, you know, I'm looking at this and you know, it's, it's, I think the word for it is environmental storytelling, right? Where, you know, you've, 
Yeah. You're, you're creating this narrative just from, you know, these simple objects and, uh, you know, the, the, if it's, when it's well done, you know, the, 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 the viewer can make these leaps of imagination that, you know, you've sort of planted the seeds of, and I think it's so successful here. I, I love the, um, the source lighting towards the bottom, which implies that, you know, the boat's maybe already on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the idea. Yeah, That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. No, I, uh, I owe that to, uh, um, to my buddy, Eric, um, uh, Swenson, who, uh, I mean, he's, uh, another yeah i know eric you know oh yeah that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I totally forgot you guys did the podcast with eric already yeah he yeah, I mean, interviewed you know, him last month yeah yep. you know i mean obviously the guy's got like a you know he's like you know crazy freaking talented and everything and like i you know i came up with that idea and i did it and he's like looking at it it's like you need to do more he's like you need to push that more and more and more and so like he really helped me kind of push that idea so uh no it, it really brings the whole thing to life just that little bit of it, it's it's so subtle but once you realize it's there and like what it's what it tells you about what's happening in the in the scene it's 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 really it's brilliant yeah yeah the only thing i really wish i had done with that piece that i didn't do is um i painted the waves in the background going off the boat and i really wish anymore i had actually sculpted it i mean i didn't feel confident in trying to sculpt it at that point and sure and i felt like a little under, under pressure for time and so i was like you know i can paint it but man i think if i had sculpted that that would have sold it so much more well i'll take your word because it, it looks fantastic on instagram which is where i'm looking at it <laughs> oh, good. so uh yeah. <laughs> don't sell yourself short because it looks it looks incredible here um your background work is really nice you know I, I think the one that impresses me the most there is the um the second piece with your your valkyrie uh-huh. um because it's actually looking at it here, at least it's hard to tell where the the diorama start stops and the uh, the background painting begins. Yeah, I mean um, that's something I've been exploring a lot lately. Like I, I started, a, I mean, so when I first started doing more competitive painting, um, would have been back in the in the P three days, and even then I still liked adding in elements that kind of you know that kind of tried to tell more of a story than just paint a piece. Like I mean, if you kind of look back through my old P three stuff, it's pretty rare that I actually just painted a model and put it on something. I mean, there was almost always like terrain with it or some type of background sure. and stuff like that. Um, and so my first like crystal brush, I went to. Um, more of my you know they had decent backgrounds with them but the but there was nothing that, nothing like that and then yeah like last year i was like i really really wanted I, basically i want to control what my viewer sees you know i'm, I'm like yeah. i want you to look here and i want you to get sucked into this environment and i want to be like this is where it ends so stay right here you know and stuff like that and so that's when the idea kind of came up about painting the backgrounds um it's something i had seen like a year or two years before that or something like that Ben comets had been playing around with that idea with a, a space wolf piece that he did um where he had kind of like this background of like the uh, uh what is that like the uh the northern lights and stuff like that and some space wolves coming coming out of a forest um and so once i had seen that I, I was kind of mesmerized by that and this was my my first attempt to try to explore that and i you know for this year uh, going to Adepticon. Unfortunately, there's no more Crystal Brush, um, right. but there will be, uh, you know, Golden Demon and P3, and then uh, Marvel Crisis. I think is doing an event too and stuff like that. And so, uh, so far the, I've only got two pieces I've I've got going so far. I'm hoping to get a third, but all three of them are done to, you know, once again try to play off this whole entire box diorama type idea where i'm gonna mm-hmm. try to create this entire scene for the viewer and everything it's really cool I, i'm looking at the valkyrie piece right now and i love how you've done the um that sort of like light break in the sky that kind of um 
is parallel to the tops of her wings and it creates such a great sense of just motion and light across the whole piece yeah there's a it's um yeah there's there's funny ways you can do stuff like that like make people think that something is uh is actually like in motion and stuff like that like diagonal lines in a in a composition make you make you have mm-hmm. this like sense of movement and everything um like uh i didn't really realize it at the time but like um i think the first p3 piece i ever did that actually like won its category um was uh, this piece called borka's berserkers and it was like that uh it was berka you know the borka on the bear oh, yeah, i think i remember yeah. the piece yeah yeah and then it had like an earth uh earth uh, earthborn it had like an axer but i did them and i painted them in such a way that they ran this like diagonal line from like the left corner down to the right corner and diagonal lines like that create this idea of active movement um mm-hmm. and so uh so whenever you can incorporate things like that, so like for the Valkyrie in particular, the idea that the spear is pointed downward and off to the right creates this diagonal line, which makes you feel like she's got this movement. And then, uh, and then you add in things like you know when you put in like the uh, the tall grasses there, and you kind of bend I was about them. to comment on those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that ma- that once again sells this idea of movement. Um, yeah, those things were actually stupid easy to do. I had no idea, but. Um, all, all that is is you can get this stuff called a jute rope uh, for like Michaels and basically jute rope is just this like kind of really thick uh, but loosely held together twine mm-hmm. and you would cut it to whatever length you want and kind of unfrill the top put it in some Elmer's glue and then stuff it down like just on a piece of plastic card and it'll dry and kind of have like this tall grass poofy type look to it um, but then I would take that and I would basically just dunk it in this mixture of water with a little bit of like paint to kind of temper and, and change the color of the uh, the rope and everything to get the color I wanted. And then it's, as mm-hmm. it's drying, you can kind of just bend it and it would hold the shape. And then once it fully dried, it'd be in that shape. So that's, I mean, that's how I got all those like, you know, uh, tall grasses that look like they're kind of blowing. Yeah, they look fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I was, I'm glad you got into because I was going to be like, I was asking you to tell me how to do that. Yeah, it's it's not it really isn't that hard. I mean, you do a couple of times, it's not too bad. I'm sure. I've actually got a, um, I'm like right now I'm concentrating on just doing stuff for like Adepticon for like Golden Demon because I've never had the opportunity to do a Golden Demon before. This will be my first one, so I'm right really on. excited to give that a shot. And uh, you know, P3 is going to be there too. And I'm like, you know, I haven't done a P3 piece in like three years maybe it's about time yeah. to like you know try this again so i'm gonna you know try to get one done for that and then hopefully something for marvel crisis too um but like what i'm really looking forward to is once adepticon passes then it's kind of like back to uh to working with non-gaming miniatures for me like i i've got this mm-hmm. uh this is like big old dragon i got from carol rudick um and i'm gonna try to pair it with this like female knight and uh and kind of had the two of them together like a rider and uh uh and her steed type thing and i'm looking forward to like creating this mountain type scene and i really want to do those grasses all over again yeah i'm sure uh, it, it's such a cool technique i can see a lot of application for that you know in, in terrain or in, uh, not just in um dioramas but all kinds oh, yeah. of stuff yeah absolutely yeah you could use it in a ton of things i think yeah so are, are there any uh sort of go-to tools or techniques you found that have been helpful in dioramas that you might not have thought of just painting straight up miniatures. So when you're, when you're creating a diorama, um, 
I, okay, so the first part I think always when you're creating a diorama is like you got to have your story. Like you know, I mean that's that's kind of the idea of you know of it. So you got to kind of figure out like what what do I actually want this to say. And you don't mm-hmm. even have to have necessarily just one story. It's okay to have other stories in there too. Um, like uh, you know, for instance, like maybe you want to paint up a scene like a battle. Um you know, with like a, a knight fighting like a big, you know, demon or something like that. But it's okay to have other things in there. Like maybe there's like all these broken shields on the ground and there's like some like, you know, animals hiding behind them because of all the chaos going on and stuff like that. So you can have like these secondary stories in there too. But um but you need to you know, you always need to kinda of keep your story uh up front. And so like um for me when I start one, I tend to sketch my diorama my my idea out a little bit and then i keep mm-hmm. always going back to that because i want to make sure the story i'm telling is the story that i kind of like wrote down like i you know right. I, I, I do, you know it's fine to have these other things going on but if you're not telling the main story people are going to get lost and kind of wonder what you know what the hell is going on sure like yeah um so once you get that and then the next thing that can be really really helpful in uh in dioramas is this idea of composition and um and what we mean by that is there's these ideas about how to put models in the scene because that's where the viewer's eye will naturally look to begin with um and and interestingly they actually use this in movies all the time um, like one of the more popular ones that's actually come up under a little bit of fire lately is this idea of called the rule of thirds. And oh, I'm familiar. Are yeah. you familiar but, with but that? Go on, explain it. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of the rule of thirds is like if you take like your your overall scene, you should be able to draw two what two vertical lines that split the thing up into like three sections, and then two horizontal lines that split the things up into three horizontal sections. And so what you end up with is like this grid with nine squares in it mm-hmm. and wherever there are intersections in that grid those are the maximum points of interest that's where people are going to look more often so like deliver like if you go back to fate if you actually drew like a grid over fate you would notice that things like the 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 ladies themselves the fates they're at the intersection points in that grid. But things like, say, Nidhogg, the dragon that's kind of the background, he is not. And he's deliberately not because it helps hide him. Like, I'm like, hey, he's here, but he's not what I really want you to focus on. He's not the main right. story. It, which is cool, too, because he's sort of like a fun surprise you find as you're making your way around the diorama, right? Absolutely. And I, and I always think that's fun to do, too. Like, whenever you make a diorama, it's fun to... like. You definitely want it to be that when someone looks at it, that they get the main idea like in the first minute or two, you know, because there's definitely going to be people who walk by and be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then they're going to go on about their way. But I always feel like it's fun to put little things in there for the person who like stares at it for like five minutes and then they can keep looking They're like, oh, hey, there's this little detail. That's pretty cool. Like, um, for instance, on the fates uh, for people that kind of stood around and looked at it they might notice some like little things like uh, you know, some of the skulls are hidden within the trees. Um, they might notice that some of the skulls have things like crowns on them uh, because, you know, when it comes to fate, fate doesn't care if you're rich or poor, if you're, you know, a big strong guy or like a little weakling, everyone dies in the end. And sure. so like, there's like those little things on there. Um, and then another real fun one was if you go through the frame itself, 
you'll notice that there is like a little emblem of Ratatusk, um, who's the squirrel. Oh, the squirrel, yeah. yeah. Up in the top. And then there's actually four stags hidden within the frame because uh, part of the Norse mythology is there's these four stags that jump through Yagdrasil and eat its leaves and, you know, and stuff like that. So like, mm-hmm. you know, these are just like little details you hide in there to, to kind of give the viewer this extra, like, you know, Hey, this is fun type thing. Yeah. I mean, I think all, the word for it almost is a uh, veris, verisimilitude, right? Like it, it, you've created this, this very rich story all in one place and it all, it all plays off each other and um, enriches the, the other parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, yep. Yeah. That's the idea, but yeah, I mean, so like, you know, uh, in, in a, you know, uh, I guess when it comes to dioramas, uh, it's not just enough to have like a well painted model. It's it's yeah about telling that stelly story, placing the models in the right positions, um, you know, and then uh, just having like and it all needs to support that narrative. Right? Yeah, and yeah, and that's kind of the idea. And um, boy, there's so many things, and there's they're all some of them are hard to explain, or some are not. Like, you know, I've like for instance, I've seen people try to create. They're like, I want to tell this story about this massive battle, and so I want to do this and this. And you're like, that's a great idea, but are you really going to create a piece that has like 35 miniatures in it, and it's going to be yeah. like five feet long? I mean, that's that's not going to work for you. It's going to be too big. I mean, the um, the only person I ever saw really pull that off was Roman. Um, but he, he has this, uh, Roman, uh, did this piece one time called the last light. And that thing has, I don't know, must have like 40, 50 space Marines in it and twice uh-huh. as many Tyranids. And they're oh, just wow. all in this swarm. And he's the only person I've ever seen pull it off. But in most cases that won't work. So then the question becomes, well, what do you really need to tell your story? I mean, do you need 30 or 40 guys on both sides fighting this massive battle or could you just try to sell this idea that there's this massive battle with the background story and then put like two guys in it who are locking swords and are you know yeah, stuff sure. like that you know, so sometimes like you know just kind of figuring out what do you really have to do can can be beneficial yeah no, i mean just you're, you know it's, it's like in writing right you're going to cut the fat out of your story and you know exactly you're left with the, the lean good stuff at the end of the day right exactly no that's you're absolutely that's exactly it you you know you just cut out the stuff that's not actually necessary to tell your story so right so ultimately it's visual storytelling right that's what a diorama is at the end yeah and it's most basic yeah i think the reason yeah i think that's why i like doing dioramas so much i've i've almost gotten to the point that anything i paint is almost diorama automatically I very rarely paint anything just uh, just for the painting of the miniature anymore. Like I, I recently did a mm-hmm. Hellboy bust, but that's the first time I've actually just painted a bust and had it be just that bust in a very long time. But um, I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I was a kid, I can remember like getting my Star Wars guys like in you know the early '80s or whatever, and like you go outside sure. and make those big old battles with them, or like if it's oh, snowed, yeah. you went outside and you play with like you know the 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 snow beast of Hoth and all that type of stuff. Of course, you know? and like I mean, even though I'm like a 42 old old fart, you know, I mean I still have those visions like you know you like pick up a miniature and you're like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if this guy like you know did this or that? And this is kind of the way of me doing it, I guess now. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I I've been thinking a lot about dioramas this past year because one of the things I've yeah, I've been painting so much and then I'm doing brush builders, which you know part of brush builders is I have to think about painting and then talk to people about that and hopefully you know maybe give people some insight and connect to other painters about their experiences. Um, and I, I realize you know one of the things I like about miniatures painting is um, you know I paint way more than I play, uh-huh. and that means I spend more time with the miniatures in painting. And I realize that 
one of the things that appeals to me somewhat is, is the act of painting the miniatures is an opportunity to spend more time in that world. Yes. Right. So if I'm painting a space Marine, the act of painting it, I'm going to spend more time with the space Marine in my hand, painting him than I am on the table playing the game. And that's, that's what I'm doing. My, a lot of my thinking about, you know, like what, what is, what is life like in the grim dark future of the 41st millennium for this, this dumb space Marine I'm painting right now. Yes. And like, you know, I'm, I'm putting his unit together and part of it kind of flowed naturally to that. I was like, you know, a diorama is a way to stay in that moment uh, indefinitely. And it, it, it's, it's something that I haven't done any of it yet, but I've, I've been thinking a whole lot about it. I, you know, I, I've been listening to um, some nineties neo folk and you know, there's a, there's a, some, you know, old British folk songs with, you know, particularly dark bents. And I was like, wow, it'd be kind of cool if I made a diorama about this. I bet nobody's done that before. I'm like, Oh yeah, wait, no, everybody makes dioramas. I'm just behind the game on that. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been on my mind a lot the last few months while I've been finishing up some other projects that this year, it's something I want to, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to make it like a major goal of 2020 to like do my first diorama, but I'm definitely going to start making some steps towards, and it's been really cool talking to you about that. Cause uh, it's all been on my mind a whole bunch this fall. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to see what you come up with. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a ways off and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed because, you know, it's, it's, I'm an okay painter, um, but, and I, you know, I, I'm a not particularly proficient terrain maker at this point. So there's a whole bunch of skills I need to at least uh, master the fundamentals of before I can do anything particularly cool. <laughs> do you, uh, I'm curious. So do you were, cause you were kind of bringing up the music and that, do you end up having like theme songs for your projects? Oh, uh, you know, I don't. You don't? Um, it's funny because music's a really big part of my life. I'm really into music. Uh-huh. But the fact is when I'm painting, I just need white noise on in the background. So usually I'm watching really garbage things on Netflix just that like I can like look up at and rest my eyes for a few seconds in between working on things. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I, I, yeah, it's funny. I really should, but I, it, I, I don't listen to music when I'm painting for the most part, which is kind of strange because it seems like a reasonable time to do it. But uh, yeah, I've uh... I'm actually becoming convinced this year. Um, so like this er, earlier on this year, when I started working on some projects, I would be, li- I would listen to like podcast and, uh, and stuff like that. And I'd listen to it. And then I found that sometimes if I'm working on a project and I switch to music, it like, I don't know, for some reason, it like turned on another part of the brain and it seemed like it, yeah. it made, uh, uh, made like the artistic process flow more like um for instance like with fate there with that with that diorama i found um what's that uh that norse band it's Vordurna, i think it is Vordurna, yeah yeah, yeah i know yeah. them i listen to them all. oh my god <laughs> i like found their music and i would listen to uh what uh, i think they got a song called yagdrasil and then they got another one oh yeah and then they've yep. got one that's called um I forgot what the actual name is, but the real, I, but I think the name, the the English name for it is something like highway or not highway to hell. Uh, it's a uh, path to hell. The path to hell. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, Helvinling or something yes, like that. Yes, yeah. And I mean, I put that on repeat. <laughs> we listen for like yeah. an hour straight to those two songs, and just like let it's it funny. Flow. They're they're an interesting band. Cause, um, I think many of them, if not most of them, are all um, Scandinavian black metal dudes. Oh, really? And yeah, and it's it's a side project where they got into like um, recreating um, early medieval Norse music, uh-huh. and like so like they 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 record like in natural locations a lot, like by waterfall. Like if you hear like a waterfall effect, it's because they recorded next to a waterfall. Oh, really? Um, huh. Yeah, they're kind of extra. <laughs> um, and uh, the uh, the main guy whose name escapes me, he's really into um, Norse rune magic. Uh-huh. Like he teaches courses and stuff and seminars. Um, and my, my friend Valerie's actually met him a few times, but um, in that context. Yeah, I actually, um, I saw that they were recently in the States, like they were in Colorado or something like that. And they did like a concert or something. 
yeah, it's supposed to be a lot of fun live. Um, I think they've got a new album out, but I, I'm not up on that. But yeah, it's funny when I, when I write, which I, you know, I, I do a lot of um, professional RPG writing as a freelancer these days. And it, I always have music on when I write, but I, I have very specific, like, Ordruna is a great thing for writing because, you know, I don't know what they're saying and it's all kind of ambient. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, if you ever need a deep, uh, deep line of like quiet ambient or um, atmospheric music, I, I, I got your hookup. I, <laughs> I've been doing that for 20 years now. But, um, but yeah, for some, for whatever reason, the part of my brain that I engage when I'm painting doesn't jive with music as well as when I write. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's kind of different, you know, with those type of things. I've just, I've just noticed for myself, like, uh, like uh, right now, I'm working on uh, like my uh, my diorama for Golden Demon is going to be called the um, uh, something either like the Squig Riders or the Squigs of Kazadam. And, uh, that's, that's your two, uh, the two giant squigs you've been working on, right? I have, but there's a lot that's happened since then. It's not, it's not two anymore. It originally was going to be the two and now I think it's up to six or something like that. Um, Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like squigs and there's all this stuff going on, but for whatever reason, I've been listening to like, uh, what's his name? Kenny Loggins playing danger zone. A ton of- <laughs> <laughs> working on it. It's just like, I'm like, yeah, this kind of fits it awesome <laughs> that's good stuff that diorama is beautiful the uh, the two squigs that you showed off a little while ago that toxic green you got going is just, it's stunning yeah yeah i mean um yeah there there was a case of uh you know something like where i, I mean i knew up until like all my education for uh like warhammer has come in like the last year like i didn't know anything about their game i you know yeah I, a lot of times you hear you know painters or or uh tabletop gamers they're like yeah i got indoctrinated in the warhammer no my indoctrination was war machine and hordes like i i knew sure. nothing about warhammer or warhammer 40k or age of sigmar or any of that stuff and so i've been having a uh, my buddy uh, vince has been like kind of educating me throughout the year and um uh and so like the, the squigs were a fun thing to do but in some ways i think it's been an advantage because i don't feel tied into certain things like you know a lot of people they paint their squigs red and i'm like why does it have to be red i don't care <laughs> i mean it can be whatever color yeah so I'm, i was like i want to go with something really really bright and stark and uh, uh part of that was too is that um uh alfonso um uh also known as banshee I had the opportunity to do some classes with him last year at Adepticon and talk with him. And, and one of the big points he made with me is he's like, you need to really start painting more saturated colors. You need to start using brighter colors and kind of getting away from having everything in these like, you know, neutral tones and desaturated. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what the hell? I might as well, let's make some yellow squig, you know, yellow green squigs, you know, let's go for You sure did. <laughs> and I, I think it worked out. Okay. <laughs> No, they're awesome. I mean, it's, it's such a vivid set of models. Um, yeah, they're so much fun. I mean, there's a lot of... The, the models are a blast, aren't they? They are. I mean, I have to admit, there's some really... There, uh, you know, there's definitely... Well, in any miniature company, there's definitely garbage miniatures, right? But, I mean, there's some really, really freaking awesome ones, too. Like, uh, um, I kind of want to do... What's his name? Archeon, the uh, the uh, Everchosen. But that thing, oh, yeah. That thing's just so freaking massive. It requires so much time, but... Uh, you know, that's like a really awesome one. And uh, um, they've got this new one coming out too, like for Warcry. They got those kind of new beasts, the kind of minotaur looking like guy. And then the Sphinx. Oh, those things are cool. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to get my hands on those. Yeah. I mean, are those out yet? They're not, are they? No, I think they're coming out um, soon. Next couple months is my understanding. Yeah, I wouldn't mind getting that minotaur and trying to get him done in time too. But that's probably, probably overshooting. 
Yeah, I think I think he's gonna be like late January, February, something like that. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's it used to be like when I was uh you know first starting off, you'd be like, you know, or I think I think everyone's kind of like this when they first get into competition painting. You try to like saturate the competition with as many entries as you can because you know you're still learning and and you're not exactly sure what sure. works and what doesn't work and stuff like that. And so you're like, okay, I'm gonna try to get as many things as I can out there. But as you do it more and more you start realizing how much time it takes to do all the little things that you want to. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you you go from like producing like, you know, nine, 10 pieces a year to like, okay, I got two things done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Yeah. That's how this year feels like. I mean, this year I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to Depticon. I'll have like five or six entries. And I'm like, huh, it's the end of December and I still have nothing actually complete. <laughs> Like so, that's gonna have to get truncated a lot. We're gonna have to yeah, speed I'm up sure. a lot. Well, I think it's gonna be worth it, and um, I, I wish I was gonna be at a Depticon because I would love to take that class. Yeah, I wish you would. I wish you'd, you'd be there. I think it'd be fun. I I think it. Yeah. I, I think Adepticon's probably the best U.S. convention right now. Oh, for miniatures, no no question yeah. about it. I, I've been to, I've been to all the major shows, and nothing nothing in the states touches uh, Adepticon yeah. for miniatures. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping this year to. Uh, to branch out and, and make it over to Nova when they uh when it, like that's gonna be like early September because I think uh, I think Nova's starting to gain a lot of ground for yeah. painting. Um, that's what I've heard. And and then I I hear this year Roman is going to be at Nova again. And Roman's kind of like my uh, he's probably my like biggest painting idol, and I've never had the chance to meet him. So I'm like, here we go, perfect chance. Nice. Yeah, you got to check that out. I will let you go, but thanks so much for talking to me. And uh, we kind of ended up talking almost solely about dioramas, but there's a bunch of other stuff I'd like to talk to you about in the future. So I'm hoping maybe we'll have you back on later this year, or I should say next year. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. I'd, I'd be more than happy to do it. Right on. And if you're listening and you want to see any of Chris's stuff, there's going to be a bunch of pictures in the notes, which you've probably seen when you got to the podcast. But if you go to um, the Brushwaters Union Facebook and brushwatersunion.com, you'll see some more pictures I'm going to post there with links to Chris's website, his uh, Instagram, and uh, of course to his Adepticon class, which you should definitely check out if you're going to be there uh, and tell me all about it because I wish I was going to be there myself. But uh, Chris, thanks again, man. It was great talking to you. You too, Simon. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.